One more crazy detail. 2017's number five spot, on the other hand, was Sicaris. And it made one billion, while in our latest report, the number 10 spot, J&J, made more than double that. That's Karita Anderson, the managing editor here at Fierce Life Sciences. Later, we'll hear more from her about our special report on the top 10 vaccine company rankings. I'm Teresa Carey, and this is the top line from Fierce Biotech, Fierce MedTech, and Fierce Pharma. This episode is brought to you by Precision Extract. Today is Friday, October 21st. Stick with us. We've got all the biopharma and medtech industry news you need. Pfizer is asking the Supreme Court to weigh in on a kickback lawsuit against the Department of Health and Human Services. As Angus Liu reports, the lawsuit centers on Pfizer's proposed patient assistance program. The program subsidizes the cost of the drug Tefamidus for some Medicare participants. Tefamidus is currently the only FDA-approved therapy for a rare heart disease known as ATTR cardiomyopathy. But it costs a whopping $225,000 for just one year's supply. And the Department of Health and Human Services ruled that the subsidy program would break anti-kickback laws. Those laws forbid financial assistance to induce use of federally reimbursed drugs. Pfizer already lost in two lower courts, so now Pfizer is hoping to persuade the Supreme Court that it should be allowed to help people overcome the overwhelming cost of tefamidus. In a petition to the Supreme Court, Pfizer argues that the Department of Health and Human Services' interpretation of the law is staggeringly overboard. The Supreme Court has until November 14th to decide whether to take on the case. In Europe, Atara is nearing approval for the gene therapy Evolo. As Kevin Dunleavy reports, this could become a treatment for the Epstein-Barr virus in transplant patients. Why is this potential approval significant? It's because Evolo was the first allogeneic gene therapy in the world. There are several gene therapies already on the market, but all of them are autologous. The most important difference between autologous and allogeneic, the two types of gene therapies, is the origin of the transplanted cells. Cells in autologous gene therapy are derived from a patient's own immune cells. Remember, this is the type of gene therapy already on the market. Since each therapy is personalized, it makes them really expensive to produce. An example is Zinteglo from Bluebird. It was recently approved to treat a rare blood disorder, and it costs $2.8 million, making it the most expensive drug in history. Zinteglo was so pricey that it was rejected by regulators in Europe. But the other type, allogeneic gene therapy, the cells are collected from a donor. And what makes this more economical is that there can be a universal donor, a single source of cells to treat many patients. As an allogeneic gene therapy, Evolo can be pre-manufactured from unrelated donor cells. This has several advantages. For one, they can be cheaper to produce. They also can be readily available and of higher quality. As regulators sign off on Evolo, its progress will be closely monitored as a potential gene therapy game changer. On an investor conference call, our reporter Zoe Becker heard Johnson & Johnson executives say that the company aims to generate 
$60 billion in revenue by 2025. Zoe reports that Jennifer Taubert, executive vice president and worldwide chairman of Johnson & Johnson Pharmaceuticals, said this goal is based on the company's current profile and pipeline. She added that J&J believes it will have an annual compound growth of at least 5% with growth each year. This goal is despite it losing exclusivity for Stellara next year, which is currently a top earner for J&J. Taubert said that the company will rely on eight key brands to make the $60 billion goal, like the TAR 200 platform for bladder cancer. Taubert also noted 14 novel therapies that have the potential to exceed a billion dollars in revenue plus five that could exceed $5 billion. The FDA has finally given the green light to over-the-counter sales of certain hearing aids. As Andrea Park reports, starting Monday, October 17th, people can purchase the devices in stores or online without having to first make an appointment with a hearing specialist. This could drastically lower the cost of getting hearing aids that are worn behind the ear or within the canal and amplify sounds without needing implants. Multiple companies are racing to get their products into this new market, including legacy hearing aid makers, as well as newcomers among consumer electronics giants. And some new hearing aid models include features allowing users to customize them without a medical exam. Some can even connect directly to a smartphone. Lucid Hearing has begun rolling out four different options, aimed at a range of budgets, They'll be sold at Sam's Club, Amazon, and other retailers. Ergo and GN Hearing have targeted stores like Best Buy, CVS, and Walgreens. And Sony is joining the hearing aid health business. And Lexi Hearing is pitching direct-to-consumer hearing aids with tech it picked up from the speaker maker Bose. The FDA estimates that only about 20% of people who could benefit from hearing aids actually use the devices. Perhaps this new market could change that. We just released a special report on the top 10 vaccine company rankings. We haven't released this report since 2017, when we only profiled five companies. Compared with that last report, the order in our new report is completely shuffled, and there are many new faces. It's clear that the vaccine industry is changing fast. Here to break it down for us is Eric Saganowski and Karita Anderson. But first, a message from our sponsor. Are you ready to drive radical prescription growth for your brand? With Access Genius, you can. Access Genius personalizes your brand's market access messages to an HCP's individual practice. It fully integrates with Viva applications and automatically selects the best possible pull-through message to share with target HCPs. Learn how leaning in with Access Genius messaging helped one brand realize 4 to 1 ROI. Find out how to make market access pull through your brand's superpower at accessgeniusmessaging.com. Eric, I want to start today with this discussion by taking the listeners inside the newsroom, so to speak, um, on how this social report, uh, special report came to be. Um, you know, I, I remember for quite a few months now, every time I would bring up the special report calendar and say, hey, let's brainstorm. We need a few more topics to cover. You were pointing uh, pointing to the vaccine market for quite some time. Uh, and you've been wanting to analyze the uh, vaccine revenue data for a while. 
Um, and the final product bears out your thinking, Eric. So give give our audience a bit of a a bit of insider info and explain what you were thinking and why you were keen to run this run the numbers again. Sure. Yeah. When I started at Fierce, I was actually covering vaccines. It was one of the first right. topics I covered. So I, I've always been interested in it. Uh, these days, where it's a vastly different industry, the last time we did this report in 2017, we only covered the top five companies. Um, doing it around this time around, we knew there'd be a shakeup, but I was actually surprised how many changes there were. Um, but for the first time we did the report in 2017, it was mostly a group of big pharma companies that dominated mm-hmm. the vaccine industry. Now it's very different. Um, the pandemic has brought vaccines into the public's consciousness and pharma executives are also thinking differently about the business. Yeah, it seems like so many of our reports this year, uh, and to be expected, have uh, expected, they've definitely centered around, you know, the response to COVID. So this year in expanding the list to 10, um, another big difference is just the revenue figures in and of themselves. So I was like slicing and dicing the numbers a little bit and, um, you know, to look at it one way, Sales from COVID vaccines were so substantial that the top four firms together raked in almost four times 2017's top five. Um, and then I was looking at it another way and 2017's top company, GSK, it made close to uh, $7 billion. But that amount would have put GSK at number eight in the 2020 ranking. Um, and one more crazy detail before I let you dig into the numbers too, Eric, is um, uh, 2017's number five spot, on the other hand, was Sicaris, and it made $1 billion, while in our latest report, the number 10 spot, J&J, made more than double that. Yeah, so back in 2017, we actually would have covered more companies if there were more you know, commercial vaccine companies to cover, but there just aren't that many. Um, at that time, only five companies generated $1 billion or more per year in the field. And in 2021 and 2022, it's looking like at least 13 companies are in that position. Um, like you mentioned, Securus fell off the 2021 rankings uh, despite us expanding our list. But they are still an honorable mention along with mm. Novavax and Serum Institute of in- India. Interesting. COVID was the main reason for these changes. Um, of the six newcomers on this list, all but one were COVID players. And we're thinking going forward that RSV could be the next reason for a shakeup. Yeah. Um, yeah. Next year could look different again because of RSV. RSV. So, you know, let's let's talk about the traditional vaccine leaders, I think, first before we uh, get into, you know, what was different uh, this year. So what's happened to them since our last report in 2017? And by the traditional vaccine players, I guess I'm thinking of uh, GSK, Merck and Sanofi. Sure. Yeah. Like you mentioned, GSK, Merck, and Sanofi went from number one, number two, and number three, respectively, in our last report to number six, number five, and number seven this year. None of these companies were able to create leading COVID-19 vaccines that propelled the other companies to the top of the list. Right. Uh, GSK and Sanofi partnered on a COVID-19 vaccine, but they weren't able to advance it to the market. Um, for GSK, it also had another project with Medicago, and that partnership has yielded a plant-based COVID-19 vaccine with an authorization in Canada. Now, these are still major 
vaccine players. Outside of COVID, GSK markets a lucrative singles vaccine called Shingrix. Sanofi has a large flu vaccine franchise, and Merck has its big uh, HPV vaccine called Gardasil. Now, outside of all those products, the companies market traditional and infant vaccines. So interestingly, uh, the number nine or number eight spot in this year's uh, report went to a Chinese company called Jifi, um, and really only because of its partnership with Gardasil. So that's how big the HPV franchise from Merck is. Uh, it's not just, you know, such a big seller for Merck, but it actually brought in another company too. Uh, so just a quick mention there on uh, that company. But the other big vaccine leader back in 2017 that is, of course, on this list as well is Pfizer. Um, so, you know, it's catapulted to the number one spot this year uh, based on the 2021 revenues. That's, of course, thanks to community. It's COVID shot. Uh, five years ago, Pfizer's fourth place was pretty much all about its pneumococcal vaccine called Prevnar 13. Um, but so before we launch into the COVID vaccine business that pushed Pfizer to the front of the pack this time around, let's talk about the other parts of Pfizer's portfolio um, and also its pipeline. Sure. Like you mentioned, uh, back in 2017, Pfizer was at number four with around $6 billion in vaccine sales. But even back then, at number four, it had the world's best-selling vaccine in Prevnar 13. And nowadays, um, that's not changing. Prevnar 13, a newer version of this vaccine, is going to be replaced by Prevnar 20, which won FDA approval last year. And like, like we've been talking about, RSV is going to be a competitive field. Pfizer, along with GSK and other companies, are racing to capture that market. Yeah, and yet and still, it was uh, Pfizer's COVID vaccine franchise um, that really dwarfs the rest of its vaccine business, uh, even though it's such a strong vaccine business outside of COVID. So flesh that out a bit more, Eric. It's worth spending um, a minute on just Pfizer's COVID vaccine business. Yeah, there's a lot to say about that business. Um, last year, their co Pfizer's COVID vaccine revenues were around 87% of the totals the company's total vaccine business. Pfizer's community doesn't need much of an introduction. This vaccine is everywhere, seemingly, and it's available for use in people as young as six months old. Now, Pfizer also has a newer version tailored to Omicron subvariants that's in the early stages of its launch, but so far we're seeing uptake remain pretty low. Interestingly, Pfizer's vaccine revenue or Pfizer's COVID vaccine revenues have come from government contracts so far. But these COVID shots appear to be making a transition to the private market at some point. And Pfizer executives have said that they hold an advantage in a private market situation. So that's probably another thing we're going to be watching out for when we compile this list the next time around. Besides RSV is just all the changes in the COVID ma uh, uh, vaccine marketplace. So there are just six or so companies that we haven't spoken about uh, as yet. And Eric, you mentioned this. Uh, these are the six newcomers to this list. Uh, three uh, are among the top four and then the bottom three. Uh, of those six, um, all except Jiffy uh, has a COVID vaccine story. Uh, there's Pfizer's community partner, Bi Bi BioNTech, at number two. It overtook the other mRNA vaccine player, Moderna. 
Uh, but between uh, those two mRNA players is Sinovac, a Chinese company, and the and one that took a more traditional vaccine approach to COVID. At the bottom is AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson. Now both those two companies made an effort to break through in COVID, but neither were really competitive. In fact, um, and are largely pulling out of COVID, right? Yeah, so AstraZeneca has not been a major vaccine player. Um, they stepped up during the pandemic, partnered with the University of Oxford, and their vaccine has made its way around the world in many places. Johnson & Johnson also had a COVID shot, but it kind of stalled early in the launch because um, the launch was paused over concerns of rare blood clots. And after that, it, it never really gained the steam needed to compete in the field. Interestingly for AstraZeneca, they are talking about selling their vaccine business and exiting the space, while Johnson & Johnson doesn't have those plans. Mm. J&J has an approved Ebola vaccine, and they're also researching in fields like RSV. So I expect them to, be, to remain in vaccines. Yeah, and then I guess Moderna, um, uh, BioNTech, and Sinovac um, were the main beneficiaries, were also among beneficiaries uh, from the pandemic. Um, how did they do? Sure, yeah. Sinovac surprised me. It surprised me to see them this high on the list. Um, they have a f a vaccines for a few different diseases, but their number three position was driven by their, their COVID vaccine. Uh, Moderna, everyone, we all have heard their story. They fell below Sinovac with revenues from their COVID vaccine called SpikeVax of $17.67 billion. Um, for them, we expect them to stay around in vaccines for a while. They've, they're talking about dozens of vaccines in their pipeline, so right. they'll, they'll have a steady news flow in the years to come. Right. And similarly, BioNTech pulled ahead of Moderna, but it's, it's also working to become an immunotherapy powerhouse and branch outside of COVID. So lots of storylines to watch in the years to come. Yeah, that, you know, that takes us through the report, but there's just so many more interesting details about the backstories of these companies, especially the newcomers to the list, uh, or even for the traditional players and how things have changed for them. But I don't know, Eric, something tells me that uh, we probably won't wait another five years to do this report and this ranking again. No, no, I think there's going to be a lot of developments over the next year or two. So I'm excited. Yep. That's it for The Top Line. I'm senior producer Teresa Carey. Our sound engineer is Caleb Hodgson. You can find out more about these topics in our show notes at FiercePharma.com. Look for podcasts. Don't forget to follow The Top Line on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you listen. And that's The Bottom Line from the top line.